G'day, I'm Rowan Mackey, and I'm joined by my dad, clinical psychologist Chris Mackey, and this is Psych Spiels and Silver Linings. G'day, Dad. How are you going today? Good, thanks, Rowan, and good to be with you again on a related topic. Absolutely. It's always great to be with you on the podcast, but I do enjoy when we can get a little bit deeper into a, a topic like today. And, and I suppose just before we do get too deep in today's topic, I better uh, clear up something from the end of last week's podcast, Dad. I did mention that we'd be doing uh, this week's podcast on a bit of stuff with philosophy and, and history and, and all this sort of stuff. And Oh, I must admit, I'm a bit like a moth to a flame with some of that, Dad, because I reckon I've gone a week too early, and we will get into that next week, absolutely. I reckon I've, I've put enough pressure on you to get it over the line as a podcast topic, but there is a little bit that we want to talk about today, just to, I suppose, close off some of what we spoke about last week, and also to set up for next week as well, too. So we've called today's episode Late Midlife and Other Life Crises. So before we get too far into it, Dad, we, we are going to be... I suppose referring back to a little bit about what we spoke about last week so do you want to just give us a really brief recap about what is the midlife crisis? Okay so a midlife crisis is a period of feeling somewhat unsettled, challenged from within, uncertain about the future, feelings of loss of youth perhaps that tends to occur around 40 years of age give or take two or three years, or even we could say broadly 35 to 45. But I find often with clients, it often is between those ages of around about 37, 43 in particular. We even described last time how our number one referral age in our practice is 39 years of age, which fits this idea. And it's the notion that even if people live a decent length life, like about 80 years, then that means that 40 would be around about that half-life time. So there can be a sense of time running out. It concentrates people's minds on maybe things that haven't gone the way that they wanted to. But we also talked about there's a different kind of inner process that's going on where people are looking to find also more balance in their personalities. So men might develop more of their relationship and emotional side, more if you like the feminine side of their personalities, the anima, whereas women might develop more assertiveness, for example, more the animus, the masculine kind of characteristics. And so there are other ways that we look for a balance in life and issues that are unresolved or challenging us are likely to come out in higher relief and more intensity when we're more aware of our mortality. And for some people, that's one of the first times it really hits the idea of mortality when they're around 40 years of age, around that half-life time. And one of the things that really struck me as someone who's you know, potentially not there yet is, is just how, I suppose, overwhelming it could be to really conceptualise your, your mortality for the first time in that way. And I suppose just inherently within that, like it, it would be in some ways so overwhelming to have to come to terms with that. And I think it would be something that potentially would take a little bit of time to wade your way through and, and it wouldn't necessarily be something that you can get to the bottom of overnight, so to speak. So I suppose what I'm looking forward to talking with you today about is what happens when people aren't necessarily able to completely reconcile those feelings. Like we speak about a midlife crisis, you know, it's not as if there's this step-by-step recipe that you can go to to kind of, you know, fix everything for yourself. Like it's a little bit more individual than that. So it wouldn't surprise me then that there could potentially be some people who don't necessarily reach that, whether it be an epiphany or, or that, I suppose, reconciled 
state of, of reflectiveness over their life and that sort of thing. And I know that it is even, I suppose, recognised as a bit of a pattern that it can come up even beyond the midlife crisis, some of these feelings as well. So do you want to just maybe give us a bit of a brief idea? What is a late midlife crisis? Okay, and I'd like to say in the first instance that when we look at, say, even resolving a midlife crisis successfully, even if we thought in those terms, it's a relative thing. Part of maturity in life is accepting uncertainty, ambiguity, grief, loss, challenges. Now, the loss of youth is one of those more obvious challenges, including people being at their physical peak. That's one of the more obvious things. But there's a lot of life and growth that also includes losses and challenges. So when it boils down to it, I think how we deal with midlife issues, including that general notion of shifting more from a focus on the outer world that we do in the first half of life, there's a correspondingly greater interest on our inner life in the second half of life. And we can even say that there'd be even more emphasis or interest in understanding more about the unconscious in other words, the deeper parts of our self, not just our persona or the picture that we put forward to the world or the face that we put forward to the world, people become more interested in themes like meaning and purpose, dare I say, a spiritual dimension in life. Many people develop more of an interest in that. But these things are relative and partly developing more of that, well, we could say maturity and an interest in meaning and purpose, spiritual dimensions in life, is accepting some of the challenges in life, which include an awareness of our mortality. Bad things will happen. We will inevitably experience loss, but certainly awareness of our mortality and those around us, but our own mortality, is a real wake-up call to deal with these issues more directly. Well, I think that's a good pick up there. <laughs> I think that is very true in terms of like not necessarily being able to solve a midlife crisis. But correct me if I'm wrong here too, but like it seems to me that there's almost like two paths that we can go when we come across a midlife crisis. It's almost like on one level, we can, for lack of a better term, deal with the feelings to the point where they don't linger at a like a somatic, like feeling level. It's not necessarily something that we're confronting every day in terms of our feelings and emotions. But then on the other hand, there could be maybe a sense, I wonder, like, like well, yeah, like, is there maybe a sense that uh, for some people that those feelings linger and, and it's not as if, you know, they might get to the age of 43 and they're still feeling, you know, internally some of these, say, these fears and worries. So could you just speak to that a little bit in terms of maybe the, the two ways that people can go with it? Because it seems to me that there could be some, some issues that could come up if people aren't able to get to a place where those feelings don't linger from a really internal level. Yes, this is a key thing about it. I think it's the extent to which we're prepared to acknowledge and process some of those feelings. Deal with them, experience them, letting them be there. Not judging ourselves just for having that, but recognising that is part of our life and growth to have these periods of uncertainty or challenge. And what I think tends to happen, and I might not have emphasised this so much last time, but if people don't, in a way, catch that wave of angst that happens around midlife... And so they don't review more about the balance in their personality around achievement versus prioritising relationships 
or the way we look to acknowledge and express our feelings or the balance with which we look to assert ourselves but consider other people's interests. These core issues in life about the importance of success versus failure, approval or disapproval, getting more of a sense of our own unique identity, These are challenges that we can all face and my sense is that if we don't look to consider or reflect on those kind of themes or identify or acknowledge the feelings of uncertainty in us, questions about whether we're working in the right kind of job or career direction for us, questions about the connection that we have with our main intimate partner or or our family relationships, or our social networks, if we don't reflect on those things so deeply then, when we get that more keen awareness of our mortality, we're likely to miss that wave of angst and motivation that goes with it. And then those issues can go underground. We can ignore them. We can sort of block them out of mind. So I find there's a difference if people bring them up around 40 years of age, give or take two or three years. Around the 40 mark, people are still in that phase where there can be that maximum motivation in some ways for making the shifts, for letting things come apart and getting them together in a different way, if people bypass that stage or put their head in the sand and, if you like, try and block out those feelings that go with the dark night of the soul, there might be less creative exploration about them. There might be a lesser sense of shifting patterns or lesser sense of meaning that people get from that. So generally what we're encouraging people to do is to acknowledge the feelings of uncertainty and disquiet that can come up at these times of transition in our lives or when we're more aware of our mortality. Often, if people miss that phase around 40 years of age, the issues can come up again in the early 50s and people can think, well, wait a minute, here I am again wondering if this is the right direction I'm going in, finding my relationships tend to have the same negative patterns in them. So part of it is looking to deal with it when the issues come up more, otherwise they might linger, and for different reasons we'll talk about soon, they can come up in stronger force in the early 50s as well. Well, let's maybe get into that, Dad, because, you know, I'm I'm imagining as you were describing that there, you know, maybe a a 50-year-old fellow, he's got his red sports car, it's now 10 years old, and he's thinking, oh, it didn't work. So so maybe we can get into maybe what would work for that person, because what you described there, like that strikes me as this idea of this late midlife crisis, which, like, it'd be interesting, like, is this a, I suppose recognized like clinical thing that you'd potentially see like in the dsm-5 or is it more a i suppose a related thing to the midlife crisis in terms of it's potentially a continuation on from not fully getting past some of those fears related to the midlife crisis Yes, it's more a pattern that comes up rather than a diagnosis. It's certainly not a DSM-type diagnosis like depression or anxiety disorders, but it's a pattern that certainly comes up that I first encountered more after reading a book by Peter O'Connor called Facing the 50s. And so he wrote the book we referred to in our last episode, Facing the Midlife Crisis, but in Facing the 50s he described how, again, people can be more acutely aware their sense of mortality. It's the awareness of mortality that really brings it up, that sense of our lives being finite, a feeling of time running out that can go with this. But as he emphasised, the early 50s was another time because 51, 52, leading up to 53, I think he might have even mentioned the peak age of awareness of mortality is around 54. If you look to generalise it, 
Why would that be that people would be more acutely aware of mortality? Well, for one thing, when you hit 50, basically people will be recognising that they've lost their youth, so to speak. People aren't going to refer to someone in their 50s as being youthful so much. And sure, it might be someone like, say, Paul McCartney in his 50s still might have had a baby face and be very energetic and creative and all the rest of it, but it's not the same as being youthful. And also at that stage, there are different changes in people's roles. For example, children might be growing up and leaving home. People might also be starting to think more practically about retirement or there might be changes in people's job roles or opportunities in certain ways that lead people to feel that they're at a later stage of their career. And also there are the changes in physical functioning, which can also include not just having a health scare oneself, but parents getting sick or dying, which might commonly occur around that time. So anything that concentrates your mind on mortality or potentially time running out or questioning your life direction, a time of transition or change, including when children are growing up and leaving home, those kind of experiences together tend to add to this extra life review. And it means that if something's not going so well in a person's life or if they feel a little out of touch with themselves or who they are or feel that they're not living the optimal life direction for them, which could include feeling in a loveless marriage or an unsatisfying job or feeling that they haven't achieved anything like what they would have hoped to by that particular stage, that can add to this disquiet, uncertainty, self-questioning that then brings up the similar kind of feelings of a midlife crisis. What I find so interesting about that, though, is... As you're describing that, you know, someone who hasn't necessarily gone through, say, the discomfort of facing some of these feelings, like, it strikes me that what you described there, some of that is a little bit healthy in terms of, you know, I imagine particularly when we get to those stages of life, like, we want a little bit of that reflection and even maybe the discomfort that comes with that in order to maybe be able to, to course correct ever so slightly. Like, I used that metaphor of, like, the boat last week going down the river. Like we want to be able to gently steer the boat and potentially we need some reflective time to look at things and go, oh, man, I do need to change this up in this direction or you know imagine around the stage of yeah, like parents dying all this sort of stuff don't want to talk about too much on the podcast here dad but uh yeah it's a bit confronting <laughs> but i imagine there would be a, a natural level of of quite serious reflection that comes with that if, if someone is lucky enough to be at that stage of life where they do have both their parents that haven't confronted that earlier in life like that would be normal and it would speak to the connection with their parents, the power of their relationship, all this sort of stuff. So how do we discern then between someone who's going through, for example, like a crisis and someone who's, you know, quote unquote, going through like an, a normal amount of these feelings, which could be very distressing just the same? Okay, so a couple of different things. It's going to partly relate to the level of distress that people experience, but I think it's really important what you're highlighting here. We're not looking to pathologise a midlife crisis or late midlife crisis, all these kind of feelings of disquiet that people have, because like you say, there's a lot that's really worthwhile about it. And that's why there's an article that we have attached to the podcast page last week about a midlife crisis, something I wrote many years ago called, What is a Midlife Crisis and What is So Good About It? 
In other words, there's a lot of benefits that come from this kind of reflection. And certainly as a psychologist, we think it's very worthwhile. We witness how it's very worthwhile for people to reflect meaningfully on the unsettled feelings that they might have, on the disquiet, the uncertainty, questioning life direction, who they are. This is how people tap more deeply into their spirituality. This is how people become more fully aware of themselves at a deeper level. So it's partly that relationship, that more rich relationship people have with their inner life to more balance out that focus on the outer one. It also relates to people's greater awareness of our unconscious, so aspects of ourselves that don't as readily meet the eye. And they're to do with the development of ourselves, if you like, rather than our persona, which is our more superficial face to the world. So it's about a deepening of our understanding of ourselves and the world. It's about a balancing of that. As we talked about last time too, it means that a person who's very practical might be open to becoming more intuitive and vice versa. A person who's quite intellectual and thinking might become more attuned to their feelings and emotions in certain ways and vice versa. We can balance out our strengths in different kind of ways and that's a good thing. But to get there... Often when people are going to go through major change, well, sadly, it often does come about through some kind of disruption in our lives, which could be trauma or loss or other things that lead to the dark night of the soul that we've talked about in the context of the hero's journey. But like Joseph Campbell says, the philosopher, a good life is a series of hero's journeys. So once we've come through one time, and we've dealt with a dark night of the soul, we might have had some kind of greater understanding or resolution, then we consolidate that change in our lives. Hey, what's around the corner or down the track? Another dark night of the soul. They might vary in intensity, but what you notice as a therapist is when people present with depression or anxiety reactions or trauma or loss, and it's around those early 50s years, I think it's got the echo of the late midlife crisis often that comes with it, the extra awareness of people's mortality that comes with it because of the other associated experiences, children leaving home, that kind of thing. And that's where when as therapists we're aware of that, that can help the person factor in that in addition to the challenges that they're facing with work burnout or a trauma reaction they have or relationship difficulty, it highlights that they're extra concerns that people might have about their identity or who they are. And being open to that and reflecting on that, having a deeper sense of themselves or being open to that helps with what Jung called individuation, becoming more fully and uniquely ourselves. But sometimes that's hard-won understanding and it might mean asserting oneself more or changing habits and patterns in certain kind of ways or allowing ourselves to be more vulnerable generally. And so that's where we're highlighting this theme occurring often in the early 50s because just like around 40, give or take two or three years, it can intensify the other kinds of distress that people have. So it's helping recognising that process in addition to the other life challenges that people are facing at the time. So what I wonder about that then is, like, for example, if someone is in their, say, like, early 50s and they are experiencing those feelings, like, 
Is it the case that they will have most likely experienced, say, like a midlife crisis where these feelings will have already come up at the age of, say, 37 to 43, and it's almost a re-emergence? Like this, even the language of like a late midlife crisis, referring it back to the midlife crisis, like it almost implies that it's sort of another one of the same rather than a different version, if that makes sense. Like, I wonder if that's the case. Yes, I think that's insightful. I think that does happen. And one example is if people present in their early 50s, which is pretty late to present with this, with, say, avoidant personality patterns. They tend to experience social anxiety, not assert themselves much. They might be in some ways quite socially skilled or engaging, but have difficulty letting other people get to know them at a deeper level. And I often find that when people present in their early 50s with that pattern, they tend to present earlier, but if they do present later with that pattern, early 50s, there have often been times in the past where it's come up as a theme, but they've unfortunately glossed over it in some way. But it also could be someone who's quite dissatisfied with their relationship And one of the striking things over the last 15 or 20 years, it seems to me, is a greater incidence of women in their early 50s choosing to separate from their partners at that stage. You go back several decades, and it used to be that people would say, look, I've made my bed, I'll lie in it. I have to stay in this relationship. And in the days when the average lifespan for a man was, say, about mid-60s, You'd understand that. But now people realise, hey, wait a minute, if there's something that's not going so well in my life now, and if I make changes now, well, I've probably got another 20 good years of physical health. So it's actually worth making major changes about where I live or my relationship or whether I assert myself more or whether I start a business or some other creative venture. It's another spur when people are aware of their mortality, to make those changes. And I think that's happening more in some ways, certainly in terms of relationships. But commonly you do see, certainly as a therapist, that when people bring up themes of things that aren't going so well in their life or challenges that they have in their personality, I'll then commonly ask people, what did you experience around about 40 years of age? Or did you experience these kind of feelings in the past? And it did come up more strongly at times of, transition or challenge but also around those midlife years around 40 years of age you can often see that pattern and that helps get across the message to the person it's worth taking these feelings or reactions seriously don't just try and brush them off these are deeper kind of issues to do with your relationship with yourself look to catch that wave of motivation that can come with the disquiet the unsettled feelings can be a spur to make a change If you look to make those changes over the next two or three years, so you deal with them more in your early 50s, then you're likely to have 20 good years, at least of decent physical health to benefit from that. So, you know, don't just gloss over it because otherwise, if people just try and brush that aside and just get through the next few years, then there's often not the spur or motivation to make changes and people are more likely to drift in the same old direction or old habits, not make the changes as much. So we often say to people when they present in their early 50s, look, here's actually an extra opportunity. Your uncomfortable feelings, your distress is understandable. We don't have to pathologise that, but say, here's this extra spur of motivation. This is from within yourself. It's to do with your relationship with yourself from the inside 
telling you that there's more that you want from life and that's a realistic thing to want more in terms of your work satisfaction, your creative outlets, your opportunities to assert yourself, your compatibility with your partner. These things are worth going for if you look to, again, take responsibility for making those changes. What strikes me about that is someone could potentially have, like for example, if they're seeking help for the first time, like they could have been through say 15 years of confronting these ideas and it like it is the first time that they are seeking help for it but like, I, I hesitate to use the, the metaphor in some ways because I think we've done it to death a little bit dad but you know I think of, of the fellow with his kind of red sports car in some ways and like I suppose I, I can sort of get my head around it a little bit in terms of like for what we were speaking about last week like it seems to me that someone could get to that stage of life say for example you've prioritized your job and achievement over and above a whole range of other things then you start experiencing these internal feelings of, oh gosh, I'm not maybe getting enough pleasure out of it, all this sort of stuff. Well, then you could think like, you know, not that you necessarily would, but I could see how someone would think, oh, I need to get more out of this. So I'm going to spend my money to, for example, buy a nice sports car so that I get, you know, more pleasure derived out of my job through the material sort of, you know, wealth I gain from it sort of thing. Well, then potentially they could, you know, drive their sports car around. It might not necessarily fix much, but say they're getting into their early 50s and they're potentially sort of going through these ideas again, like whether they, I suppose they could employ the same style of thinking again. They could think, oh, well, you know, I need to get something more out of it now because it's a longer career and I've earned more. So maybe I need to buy a really nice house. Maybe that same tactic of thinking is applied, but as we've spoken about, it's not necessarily going to help someone. So what I wonder then is like, what if someone gets to this stage of, say, being in their 50s, experiencing like a late midlife crisis, and they don't confront these feelings again? Like maybe they do, say, purchase something kind of, you know, large and material to distract themselves for a little while. And then for lack of a better term, they find themselves, you know, down the road, kicking the can 10 more years sort of thing. Like, I wonder what happens when people aren't able to confront some of these feelings in, say, like their early 50s. Is it the case where... You know, it's just going to keep coming up again every so often. Well, I can think of a couple of examples where I suspect that that deeper reflection didn't happen. In one case, one way of dealing with things was to invade Ukraine. Yes, I can't yes. help wonder about, for example, Putin, what kind of inner life does he have and how does he deal with things? It's so focusing on the external world and trying to have this macho control. And another, I think, grotesque example, I know I've mentioned it a number of times, but Donald Trump wanting again to emphasise his genius, his wealth, his power, influence, control, these outer world mastery kind of things, and leaving a trail of carnage around American democracy, for example. So I think there's some of the more grotesque examples of where people just focus on the materialistic through life. But also it can come out in other ways if people don't process that deeper side of things and develop a fuller, more rounded relationship with themselves, balancing their personality, then they're more likely to continue, for example, relating at a somewhat superficial level to other people or not being able to process their emotions more directly or maybe not able to assert themselves as individually, as express themselves as creatively, maybe just sort of going on, I don't know, maybe crossing their fingers and hoping they win Tats Lotto each week, something like that. I even think it's changed from a number of years ago where if we go back 20 years, many people could think, well, I'll deal with my later years in retirement. I'll play golf two or three times a week and that's it. 
And now many people, good luck to them, I've, I've met a number of people who play golf two or three times a week and they can really enjoy it, but and you'd want something else. And I remember a psychotherapist, I think also an anthropologist, Mary Bateson, saying many years ago, about 20 years ago, that in modern life, people hadn't solved a couple of key problems. One was the motor car and how we deal with that and transportation in the cities, all that kind of thing. And another was how people deal with retirement. Because again, you go back away and say men's life expectancy was about mid-60s. And so they might finish up work at 62 or whatever, play golf for a few years and drop dead, something like that. And she said, well, you can't get away with that so much. Maybe now if people have another 25 years of potentially vibrant life after retiring or whatever, then people are going to want something deeper and more personally meaningful, more individually tailored to them. And so that's partly that notion of individuation in later life. So I think some people do gloss over that and live at a more superficial, detached level, not so in touch with their feelings, maybe not so much a balance that they've found in how they consider other people's interests and show an interest in other people or creative growth in some way or keeping their mind growing through being exposed to different kinds of learning experiences. I think a number of people do go into a more defensive kind of pattern, living their life in a more rigid, limited way and getting away with it in a certain way. But certainly from a psychological point of view, we tend to say that the person doesn't seem as fully alive or vital as someone who actually, Jung used this expression, that you only truly find vitality in people who are prepared to die with life. Now, Jung went through that Midlife crisis himself, he's trying to process the meaning of his dreams. He was feeling virtually suicidal if he couldn't sort this out. But he's getting at the idea he wanted a deeper, richer understanding of himself, a more unique individual sense of who he was, becoming more fully himself. As we call it, the acorn theory. Every person in themselves has like an acorn that if it grows to its fullest potential will become a wonderful oak tree. All of us have that oak tree in ourselves, potentially that genius, that daemon, that maybe sense of destiny, we could call it. And so part of midlife and late midlife issues are looking to help the person deepen their individual understanding of themselves, become more fully themselves with more balance in a way that will help the quality of their connections with others, their creativity, their uniqueness as people. That's a whole lot of what it's all about, and it can be hard won. Well, first of all, I've got no idea how two or three times a week playing golf would not be enough. Like, you just <laughs> send me on the course just seven days a week and that, that'd be me done, Dad. So, but uh, we'll move on. But what I find really interesting, as you were describing that too, is like potentially it's something that, you know, people of all ages are maybe going to have to face a little bit more in the future in terms like the nature of work has changed. And I think, you know, if you look maybe 150 years ago, like we have so much more leisure time now, like potentially it's just so much more time to think about this sort of stuff and even potentially with the pandemic there could have been people who whether they faced their job losses or they lost their business and this sort of thing like could have come face to face with some of these ideas you know before I suppose that's certainly the late midlife crisis but certainly before I suppose this some of this sort of stuff would I suppose say usually come up in life you hesitate to use the term usually there but anyway I'll move on but dad there seems to me a 
I suppose, common theme a little bit in terms of what we've been speaking about today and also what we were speaking about last week with the midlife crisis, in terms of it almost seems to me that there's an element of grief involved in terms of we're aware of our own impending mortality in some ways. Like There's an element in which we could be grieving ourselves and we could be grieving our youth and we could be grieving missed opportunities, but it seems to really go with this just big sense of like time is running out. And what I wonder then is obviously like the midlife crisis seems to be a big one. The late midlife crisis seems to be a big one. Are there other maybe times in life when this idea of time running out can really contribute to distress? Okay, look, actually, I'll just first of all describe a little anecdote. It's an aside that's got some relevance here, but I think every stage of growth can include some kind of grief and loss. And it might be a little bit corny, a little bit cute, but I'll mention a situation that I often think of in terms of parenting, and it goes back to when you were a really little kid. And I remember we were living over the road from here in a house in Geelong, and I remember one time you're riding down the house on this little sort of plastic truck toy. And I see you riding down, you're having fun and all the rest of it kind of thing. There's your little silhouette coming down the side path. Then, first time, you could get a bike. Would have had trainer wheels on it and all the rest of it. The bike's twice the size of this little plastic truck thing kind of thing. And I see you one time around the side of the house and you ride down the side of the house on the bike and you've got twice the silhouette, twice the size of what you were before. And immediately my first reaction was, oh, you know, like that sense of loss, that, that really little kid, that little infant, if you like, is gone. And like in its place, it's wonderful. Now you've grown up, you can ride a, a bike with trainer wheels on it, that kind of thing. So this is like a new stage and there's a bit of a joy as a parent with that. But I felt this tinge of loss at one and the same time. And whenever I've thought of parenting, including your children growing up and leaving home, at every stage it was like that for me, primary school, moving on to high school, or certainly also when your teenage children look to just spend time mainly with their peers, not hang out with their parents so much. That's a growth stage. That gives parents also pride and joy as your children become more independent, more autonomous, but there's a loss. I think every stage of life and growth involves loss. And so also when we're losing our physical youth and prowess, we're likely developing or growing in other ways that might be our learning on our job or opportunities for further promotion or seniority. There's different positives that come with each stage of life, but I think there are losses at at virtually every stage. And so some of them are more marked. It can even be having children in the first place. Nothing more wonderful than becoming a parent for the first time. That is absolutely magical. That's archetypal. That's almost otherworldly. People cross a threshold becoming a parent. It's a wonderful thing for so many people experience it so powerfully. But also there's something that's lost in terms of the previous, if you like, all that spare time and the time that parents have together as a couple. That stage is no longer the same. There are going to be a lot of years ahead where people are going to be very busy rearing children as well as working, different kind of things. So I just think that's a nature of life. Or someone leaves their country to go to another country where they have new hopes and maybe new opportunities. But I imagine in nearly every case there's going to be some real sadness about leaving one's home behind. I think that's part of the nature of life, any kind of growth stage. 
Well, oh, I must admit I hadn't heard that story about the, the bike and the truck, Dad. And I must admit I've, I've always thought back and maybe even have a bit of a memory of learning to ride a bike. And it turns out that I learned to ride a truck. I didn't know that. <laughs> so there you go. I'll have to uh, make sense of that a bit later on. But anyway. Well. It, it, it might be that I'm sort of mid-60s now. I might be dementing at this stage and misremembered <laughs> it. But I think it was a little plastic truck-like toy before the bike. Oh. That's what I'll go with. Well, I do remember Bluey the bike, which, uh, yeah, we, we went everywhere together. Me and Bluey the little bicycle. So, I yeah, I appreciate that that tutelage from you, Dad, anyway. But I suppose, yeah, like like very interesting point in what you're saying and, and – this is really something that I do really want to, I suppose, get into a little bit more deeply with you next week because, you know, particularly as someone who maybe hasn't gone through the midlife crisis and hasn't sort of experienced the distinct elements of that, I think, you know, there's an element to which that's the kind of, you know, the moral of this whole story in terms of these few podcast episodes. But I think there is a, a bit more that we can say about that, Dad. But I'd be really interested to get your thoughts on this because it's something that, you know, I think I've joked about it with friends a little bit and I even joked about it on the podcast and, you know, I almost say it in jest, but there is maybe a little bit of a sense of, of, of something there in terms of this idea of a quarter-life crisis and, you know, I don't know if it's maybe, you know, just been a little bit sort of melodramatic with friends every so often, but is it the case that, you know, maybe not so much like, for example, the midlife crisis where it's associated with, you know, maybe a, a sense of death that's approaching, but what are your thoughts and ideas maybe about the existence even of the quarter-life crisis? Look, in some ways I'd be interested in, in your ideas about that with your contact with your friends around a similar kind of age, but I think certainly there can be more awareness of mortality as people reach certain kind of milestones. Actually, I raised this very question a couple of hours ago in our group supervision session. I asked our other psychologists, what are your thoughts about this idea about a quarter-life crisis? And one of my colleagues mentioned, well, whether it's exactly the quarter-life side of things or whatever, she mentioned about a particular client who just turned 30 and was becoming more keenly aware and concerned about not being in a relationship at the time, having maybe a feeling of time running out, even as young as 30, and maybe wondering about the opportunities to have a family and have the kind of relationship or life that that she wanted. So in this case, it was turning 30 that was a factor and something we alluded to briefly as well. I read recently, as we mentioned, the number one age which people take up marathon running is 29. So the idea of an end of a decade. And there's another blip at, say, 39, at 49, at decades ending in nine. And so maybe also people think more about things around New Year's Eve or they think about New Year's resolutions or the end of a year coming, what might do after that. There is this sense of finite time and of that passing. And to some extent, I suppose, at 25, people could think, well, that's a quarter of a century I imagine even more like late 30s yeah more around the age that you're sort of towards around about time you know, 29 approaching 30 I think that might be more of a marker for some I think also for many women who would wish to have children but haven't but they might be say mid later 30s sometimes you notice again more of that disquiet coming up about whether we'll have a family or not have a family any time that in the person's mind adds to that sense of time running out and it could be turning 30 but whether it be particularly around 25 years of age or whatever I would have thought maybe not so much that way again I'd be interested in your thoughts but the difference with the midlife crisis is I 
still think at 25, 30, 35, it's still about the person dealing particularly with the outer world. Maybe not so much that impetus to look at one's unconscious or developing the complementary sides of one's personality, like thinking versus feeling. I think that does particularly happen more around about the 40 mark. But in terms of the disquiet about a feeling of time running out, I think that could probably happen. Well, also like around a pandemic, if people's lives have been impacted or around housing affordability, if people have to face the idea, can I afford a house? But what, what are your thoughts on this quarter life crisis? Well, it is an interesting one and, you know, it's like without, you know, any research on it, I don't know if there is any research on it, but I suppose amalgamating a whole bunch of conversations I've had with friends and all this sort of stuff, like there's maybe a sense that oh, I suppose life is a little bit less prescriptive in some ways now and, you know, like I think even in our family, Dad, like your dad was a pharmacist and his dad was a pharmacist and his dad, you guessed it, was a pharmacist. Yeah, drug pushers, all yeah, of them. exactly. And, you know, you're a psychologist, you broke the chain, which made things so much easier for me. I need to thank you, first of all. And I've just got to say too, I've got the greatest respect for pharmacists in a number of ways, not just understanding about that more biological side of life or some of the physical basis of life, but how pharmacists in their communities could be health professionals that really dispense advice or really are trusted individuals within their local communities. I think there's something about the role of pharmacists which is often under-recognised. So I'm actually very proud from coming from a line of pharmacists, even though I often challenge a medical model and I think that there's way too much emphasis on, say, prescription medication for depression, things like that I've talked about before. Well, I think you've, uh, you've dug your way out of that hole, Dad. It was quite well, a phew. disparaging mark about pharmacists, I must admit, but we've moved on and, and yeah, like I, I do agree with your sentiment there. But I think it's interesting because, you know, like, yeah, if we were 150 years ago, you know, you and I'd probably just both be pharmacists and, and it's a great thing to be able to have more choice and more freedom to be able to go in a whole range of new directions even that didn't necessarily exist before, but... I think there's maybe a degree to which it, it calls for slightly more calibration in terms of, you know, it was a little bit set and forget back in the day. You go to school very much with an idea in mind of what you'd likely be. I'm probably speaking a little bit more as a, a guy's perspective here too. It's the main one I know. But yeah, you know, you'd go to school. This is likely what I'll be. And then you, you just you kind of go and do that. And then that's kind of life. Whereas now there's, you know, one thing I've, I've heard recently come up a fair bit is this idea of the great resignation. We've got all these more digital jobs and jobs that you can do from home. And so people are they're considering themselves what I suppose their number one priorities are around their career and where they want that to be and what they want to be doing and all this sort of stuff. So like what that suggests to me is that there's maybe a extra level of questioning that comes around whether it be this stage of life, because that's the age that I'm in and maybe notice a little bit more, maybe it's to do with the pandemic and just a shift in the technology that we use and maybe a paradigm around work and all this sort of stuff. So I think there could be a couple of things involved, but I think I do notice maybe a lesser sense that people do have of this sense of time running out, whether it be people who, you know, are 10 years into a corporate job, five years past, you know, university, so essentially 15 years into their career and they're thinking, I'm getting no time to prioritise all the other things that I want to be doing or like I, I know people, Dad, for example, who went through years and years of university in medical school only to come out of medical school and be thrown in the middle of a pandemic and I know through conversations with those people that there's a real sense of, I suppose, 
not necessarily reprioritizing, but just checking with yourself. Maybe at this stage of life, obviously, I think the pandemic is going to contribute to it a bit. A bit, but I also think that you know, 28 years old now, like I'm, I'm 10 years past school. I've made a lot of choices for myself that have got me in this position and I'm happy with where I'm at, Dad, but there are implications of that the other way in terms of some things I've missed out on and all this sort of stuff. So I think there is maybe a maybe a, just a natural time that comes up maybe 10 or 15 years after you've left school where you do maybe reflect a little bit more on these sorts of things. You know, you do start to think, oh, hold on, compared to my sort of ambiguous, naive, grand plan that I had when I was younger, kind of where am I up to, sort of in regards to where I thought I'd be. So I think what we spoke about last week, the midlife crisis, that's one in its own. And I think maybe the the late midlife crisis is related to some feelings that, you know, a little bit different to what we're talking about, which is maybe a little bit more anecdotal. And and I can certainly relate it to a few experiences that that I've had and, and other friends have had. But I think there is maybe that idea that, yeah, people can, I suppose, reflect a little bit around, say, this age. And I suppose it just leads you to wonder, you know, am I really kind of doing the best thing for me at this stage? Yes, well, a few things come to mind with that. One thing that I think is wonderful about people for your generation and this era is there's so many more possibilities about the future. And part of that, I think, also came up when people were reflecting on their parents, it could even be grandparents, looking back over previous people's careers and knowing that in the past, people, for example, might have shown enormous loyalty to a particular company or firm and then the global financial crisis just being put off. And they're just feeling there's no direction for them so much. Or people who were retrenched from positions where previously loyalty had been greatly rewarded. They might have expected to get a gold watch at a certain stage, to use that kind of meme, so to speak. Or the notion of people having stability in their work, staying in a place for a long period of time. Certainly, that idea is much out of favour now, I would think. And partly because people have seen you can't necessarily count on that leading to particular rewards or people being as fulfilled and these days there is more emphasis in our culture about people being an individual not being a cookie cutter there's so many more different kind of fields that people can work in like just say take your main vocational role as a podcaster that didn't exist a very short while ago But I think that there are other uncertainties that come with that, like how can you make a living out of being a podcaster? That's not straightforward in different ways. Or people having other kind of creative roles or maybe people working in certain areas of the IT field which might be pushing the envelope or new kind of things or the people who work these days in the metaverse or the people who've gone to work in companies that deal with crypto rather than banking companies and what will their future be there's I think there's more uncertainty I think there's more opportunities but more uncertainty for people at your age and stage and the uncertainties are compounded by things like climate change certainly the pandemic, the war in Ukraine. There are a lot of existential challenges, I think, for people in your stage of life. And, yeah, so I think that people of all different eras are going to have their particular challenges, but I think that people of your era and those in their 20s now have way more opportunities or potential directions and ways of being themselves and more acceptance about being themselves, but by the same token, there's lots of uncertainty about the future, so existential angst that way, I would think. 
Yeah, like I agree with that, Dad. And I suppose what that leads me to think is there's a you know a saying that I quite like. It's uh, it's you can't achieve what you can't perceive. And I think there's an element of that in terms of, you know, like there's so many possibilities out there, but unless you can sort of, I suppose, conceptualise it in your head and obviously examples of other people doing similar things is going to help a lot, it's really hard to, I suppose, you know, come out with something as distinct and authentic to yourself. Yes, it reminds me of that, well, reassuring theme, but I think it's got a lot of truth in it from Joseph Campbell, again, the philosopher and mythologist that went along the lines that, If you look ahead, it can be so hard to see the path forward and you can feel this uncertainty and distress and the existential angst and am I living the right kind of life or the right direction? But as he says, often when people look back, you find that the path that you're on is the path that was right for you all along. And through these different transition stages and challenges and all the rest of it, it's actually helped prompt you and nudge you more towards your destiny. Now, I think that's more likely to occur if people are in touch with their inner life, if people are reflective, will respond to their intuition and inklings. And the support and guidance maybe from mentors might come into that, but particularly if people are related to their inner selves, if you like, people looking to pursue their daemon or destiny or genius in some ways. I think that really helps that kind of line of Joseph Campbell's come about because we'd be pretty lucky to fluke a life direction for ourselves that really fits in a wonderfully individual way if we're just putting one foot after the other purely based on what opportunities in front of our nose and not deeply thinking about, is this a right fit for me? Who am I as a person? What direction do I want to go in? I think that deeper reflection, dare I say that psychological kind of reflection, I think that helps people so much as a guide in life. Our intuitive feelings as well as our education, our experiences and our opportunities, that turning within, that's one of the main themes of a midlife and late midlife crisis, taking it seriously, the feelings we have within, even if they're uncomfortable. Well, very much so, Dad, and I'm... I'm very keen to explore some of these ideas a little bit more with you because looking into some of this sort of stuff, like I was just blown away by, I suppose, the connection of some of these ideas in what I'd previously considered to be fields that were miles apart from each other. Like you look at some stuff in philosophy, obviously psychology, spirituality, religion, like these ideas come up and, and I'm, I'm very keen to get into maybe some of the history of, of these ideas with you as well next week because to me, this is just, it's one of the, the biggest things. Like it was interesting what you were talking about there and, you know, talking about someone going on their own path and not having to recalibrate or any of that. Like to me, that just suggests that that would be someone who has no connection to the world. You know, if we are connected to those around us and, you know, the circumstances around us, you know, which involve other people too, like, of course, there's going to be some recalibration that comes up at times. And, you know, I think the nature of life is that that recalibration can be quite uncomfortable. But as you say, like, without that, it just leads us to, I suppose, lack of connection with those around us and in many ways, reality as well. So I'm very keen to expand on this more with you next week, Dad. Yes, and part of the theme is not just to get sucked into the superficial and the external things like a job that pays more money or might have more status or it's just because you expected to study that by your family or other external things or that was the main opportunity that you noticed without considering other opportunities as well. It's again partly about the balance of our inner and outer life and so paying attention to the inner. 
Certainly. So, Dad, I'll put all the resources for today's episode up at sykespeels.com.au. Thanks so much for, for chatting with me about all this. I'm, I'm very much looking forward to next week now where we can take a bit of a, a foray into ancient Greece. We've got a bit of Japanese philosophy, a bit of ancient Christian philosophy. It's, uh, it's going to be good, Dad. I'm very much looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it too, Rowan. <laughs>